Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Yeah! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball, part of the Just Baseball Network. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton, and on today's episode, we are answering your questions that were submitted on Twitter, whether it was at my personal Twitter, at ArmLayton8, or at the underscore call-up pod, where we usually will post the episodes there, and then, of course, uh, follow along on either my personal or on the call-up Twitter account to make sure you don't miss out on the mailbags because we're going to be doing more of those at least every two weeks or so moving forward just so I feel like I have a better pulse on what you all want to hear about and what you all want me to talk about and we have all kinds of questions coming in today so I'm really excited to dive into them uh, kind of ranging from all levels all teams in the minors and of course this will probably be the last episode we'll do before we start really diving into all of the trades at the deadline maybe we'll We'll get one more episode in before the deadline really starts to heat up, but then I'm really excited to have the coverage along the way with y'all where we will be able to really dive into all of the trade packages, all of the returns that teams got for their players and what you can look forward to. If you're a rebuilding team who unfortunately saw some of your big league pieces go out, and even on the other side of what prospects you gave up, how you should feel about that trade to go get that piece to help take you across the finish line at the big league level, but how much did you guys give up farm system-wise? Looking forward to getting into all of that, but we're talking mailbag today, and we have so many questions to get to, so let's get into it. The first question is on Jared Kelnick. And it comes from someone I know has been a longtime listener and supporter of the pod. So happy to start it off with my man, Alex. It's at just underscore lions with a Z on Twitter. And Alex wants to know my thoughts on Jared Kelnick's AAA stint so far, which if you haven't been keeping up, Jared Kelnick's been swinging it pretty well in AAA as of late. And then also a two-parter, of course, he wants to know about Taylor Dollard as well, who I actually have been neglecting on here. So I am looking forward to talking about Taylor Dollard, pitcher at the AA level who has looked really good for the Mariners. But let's start with Jared Kelnick, who has been spectacular as of late and a really exciting development for the Mariners for obvious reasons. Kelnick was sent down to AAA after getting off to a very rough start to the season at the big league level after finishing strong at the big league level last year. He played 30 games 
in the bigs to start the season, hit 140, 219, 291. It was clear that he needed to get back down to the minor leagues, back down to AAA, and kind of work through some things and work through some swing adjustments in a better environment where it's not as uh, needed for him to hit right away. And he worked through those adjustments. He wasn't great out of the gate in AAA, and he has a very different setup than what we saw before. I'll dive into the setup a little bit more after I set the scene numbers-wise, but he struggled a bit in the early going in AAA and then really started to get going as he got comfortable with the adjusted setup and really, you know, the moves prior to his swing. Over his last 30 games at the AAA level, striking out just 20.7% of the time, walking 9% of the time, and slashing 294, 364, 548. That's a 121 WRC plus and a 912 OPS. And those numbers are what you can kind of come to expect from Kelnick, but we, we weren't really seeing it as of late because of the struggles that he was having to just kind of find consistency at the plate. He's not really selling out for power. Uh, not that he ever was fully selling out for power, but I think he's trying to be a little bit more bat to ball oriented, try to use the field a bit more. Five home runs in that 30 game span, but he's chasing less than ever. And his strikeout rate is as low as we've ever really seen it at the upper levels or at the big league level. So both things that are very, very encouraging. Kelnick was struggling a bit with timing issues as well as just the body control. And we saw him tinker with his swing time and time again, kind of tinker with the setup, tinker with his load. We saw just a different look from Kelnick throughout last season. It seemed like sometimes from game to game, he would even have his hands in a different spot and just couldn't really find something that felt right and stuck with. And now we see Kalnick with a totally, this is probably the biggest change that I've seen from him setup-wise, but it's also maybe the longest I've seen him stick with the setup. Obviously, the numbers back up that it's been working, but the big changes I've seen is he's starting slightly open. And while starting slightly open, he's ex- like extremely stacked on his backside. So similar to what we were talking about with Alec Burleson, who starts pretty stacked on the backside, and then with two strikes is even more stacked on his backside, meaning that you know that back leg is really bent and the weight is already shifted back there pretty well. So it's almost one thing that's out of the way for you uh, before you got to get into your swing. Some guys like being upright and having the thought of getting into their back leg. Some guys really struggle to kind of keep their equilibrium, keep their center of gravity when they have to sink into the back leg and then start to go forward again uh, with that swing. So for Kalnick, he's now stacked on the back leg and slightly open. So what he focuses on now more is just bringing the front leg over, closing himself back off and letting his swing go. Instead of having to worry about the weight shift back and then triggering the swing. It's been working for Kelnick. He's still pull happy, but he's going the other way, going up the middle a bit more, but he's staying through the ball better than ever. I think he's always going to be a guy that's going to be pull happy, but he's able to control the barrel better. I think he has a better comfort and confidence with his body and being where he is at, it's allowing him to see the ball earlier. And as a result, we're seeing Jared Kelnick's chase rates go to career lows. We're seeing his contact rates at all all-time highs for him. And those are both things that are really, really exciting. I mean, if you pull from the last month, his zone contact rate is 88%. For reference, between the big leagues and then the early parts of his minor league stint this year, his zone contact rate was up to about 75%. That's where he was at, which is not great. And that's below even his typical average there. But then you pull it from 
up until last month onwards, he has been ridiculous. I mean, the 88% is a very, very good number for him. But then also, the chase rates are at an all-time low. And as you continue to kind of shrink the the date that we're going from and start to go closer and closer to the present date. So instead of the last month, you go over the last two weeks, you'll just continue to see the chase rates drop and the contact rates rise. I mean, that's the number one thing you want to see. And I really feel like it's just what has been found by Jared Kelnick, which is moves that he trusts, moves that get him in the right spot where he wants to be, where he can see the ball earlier, and then also just having that body control where he is doing what he needs to do in the box. We know he has a natural bat speed. We know he has the strength. We know he has the plate discipline. Plate discipline's never really been an issue for him, but I think as he started to get out of sorts and started to overthink his ABs, not really trust that he would be in a good hitting position where he could see the ball well, he started to guess and he started to cheat. And that's where we started to see a guy that just wasn't the Jared Kalnick that we had become used to. This is a lot more like the Jared Kalnick that we had become accustomed to. And when I see zone contact rate go up, when I see chase rate go down, when I see numbers and production continuing to go up, and all of that is preceded by a tangible swing or setup adjustment, I mean, that's exactly what you want to see here. And I know people might be saying, oh, well, we've heard this already before with Jared Kelnick. He got hot at the end of last year. Yes, but this guy's 23 years old. And I think going through multiple bouts of struggles at the highest level and being forced to adjust and and figure out you know what moves work the best for you, how to be as efficient as possible, and really how you can have sustainable success, I think is exactly what you kind of want to see your young prospects go through. Of course, you would have liked it to happen in the minor leagues, but it's not his fault that he was able to kind of bootstrap it, even with moves that weren't optimized, and even for things that he was able to get away with, it's because he's that talented. He got away with some of his inefficiencies through the minor leagues, and then they got exposed at the big league level, and he had to kind of go back to the draw board. This guy just turned 23. He's still very young. He's still young for the AAA level. Like just to put that in perspective, he's young for the AAA level. This is normal. I know we were expecting him to just kind of bust out of the gate and be able to go crazy uh, like some of the other top, top, top prospects have. But even those guys don't always do that. So, you know, I think it's pretty normal. Like I said, just turned 23. I like and am very encouraged by the adjustments that we've seen. And I would be feeling a lot better about Jared Kalnick if I'm a Mariners fan. And I don't think he's that far away from getting another opportunity at the big league level. They probably want, you know, a couple dozen more, maybe 50, 60 more uh, AAA at-bats to, to solidify these new moves and get that muscle memory right and really build that confidence and trust. But with the way that the zone contact rates are trending, with the way that the chase rates are trending downwards and everything else looking good and his ability to hit secondaries has gotten better and He's crushing velo. Everything looks good. I think he could be up at the big league level pretty soon uh, and help this Mariners team. He is really talented, and we're seeing him be extremely productive and a very well-rounded hitter at this point. So Mariners fans, you should feel encouraged by Jared Kelnick. One more Mariner note is Taylor Dollard, and I got to talk about him real quick before we move on to the next question. Dollard has been just another emergent arm for the Seattle Mariners, who is now really shoving at the double-A level. 23 years old, was a fifth-round pick in 2020, 137th overall, so almost one of the last picks in 2020's draft, uh, the sixth pick in the fifth round, so only 24 guys were drafted after him. Uh, Pretty amazing to see another arm from that draft, and also just another arm in the Mariners' system really just tick up and dominate 
after really struggling in high A last year where he pitched to a 6.15 ERA in 67 and a third innings, Dollard has really impressed to a 1.54 ERA in double A across 93 and two thirds innings. He's punching out more than eight per nine, which is not crazy, but he's not walking anybody, only two walks per nine. And that's the big thing that stands out for Dollard. He pounds the strike zone, but he gets a ton of weak contact and he really is able to go east, west, up, down, and is just really good at getting hitters to get themselves out. He mixes in a fair amount of ground balls with weak fly balls and then gets just just enough strikeouts. I mean, 24% K rate is still pretty solid, especially when you're not walking anybody. About a 5.7% walk rate. Dollard has a lot of things working for him. While he doesn't have that true nasty, nasty plus-plus pitch, the slider, I would say, Flash is plus. It's above average, probably closer to above average. The fastball is average, but he locates it so well that it plays up as above average. The changeup he mixes in there is a pretty good pitch, and he can also steal some strikes with a curveball. Uh, but the slider is a pitch he uses the most. He throws it 48% of the time, which is pretty crazy for a starter uh, to see that starter kind of using uh, a fastball, or excuse me, a slider that frequently. But the way he's able to locate it, the way he's able to throw it in any count, Makes hitters extremely uncomfortable, and he can use that pitch to to back leg lefties uh, to kind of bore it in on them, and or you know get it to sweep away from righties, which is the you know the easiest way to use a slider. But he sets it up well with the fastball command. I don't know if Dollard has good enough stuff to be you know a number two type of starter, but I do think that he has a really good chance to be a back end of the rotation starter with the command, with his ability to mix in four pitches, and especially with the slider flashing above average to plus as. As it does, and the way he's just able to, to get so much weak contact as well. Fastball sits more in the 91 to 93, touching four at times range. Uh, the changeup, though, has good separation from it at about 80 miles an hour, closer to the upper 70s. It's around the 78 to 81 range. And then the curveball is a really slow curve, but he'll mix that in to steal some strikes, like I said. So I like what we've seen from Dollard. I'm, I'm encouraged by it. I think the numbers are a little bit, uh, I, I would say, if he was a hitter, inflated. So I guess deflated for a pitcher in terms of, I think he's more of a 3ZRA guy. I think he's pitched to be more of a 3ZRA guy. Has been a little bit lucky. Some of that is because of the fact that he gets so much weak contact. But overall, you know, I think we're looking at a a solid back end of the rotation type of starter. And with the slider that he has, you know, you, you could see him be kind of a swingman type as well. But I think his stuff plays more as a back end of the rotation starter. And that's another really nice development for the Seattle Mariners. Dollard continues to put up just good outing after good outing. Next question comes from my guy, Jeff Bloom, who has a pair of questions, but they're both pretty direct and easy. So I'll I'll hit on both of his questions right here. His at on Twitter is pure sports GB. Thank you for the questions, Jeff. Number one is, will Corbin Carroll be called up to the majors this year? And I think that's a great question because I would love to see Corbin Carroll up there this year. And I think there's a legitimate chance, depending on how many guys the D-backs decide to move. Um, But there's also not really a necessity to rush. You know, I I don't know if they necessarily need to move Carroll up because they don't need to make that 40-man roster decision yet. He's not Rule 5 eligible until 2023, uh, and that's obviously not for another year. So if you don't need to, you know, move somebody off the 40-man, I think it kind of depends on how trades go, especially if they do get a big league piece back, then 
they're not going to want to try to you know put a guy through waivers or DFA somebody just to call Carroll up. If there's an injury, of course, then I think we can absolutely see him. So it's a little bit of based on circumstance. But in terms of what Carroll's done for himself, I think he's done more than enough to prove that he is just darn near big league ready. He has been spectacular this season. It was heartbreaking to see him get hurt last year, but he's made up for lost time without a problem. It's just a testament to how talented he is because he had never played above short season A ball when 2021 started. Of course, 2021 was canceled, and he was another guy that was impacted by that as a 2019 draftee who played rookie ball, then short season, and then 2019 was over. So we were geared up to see our first full season look at Carroll. Didn't get to see him. Then 2021, I was even more geared up to see him. He played seven games, was phenomenal in high A, and then got hurt and missed the remainder of the season. So it was a question, you know, where are they going to start him in 2022? I figured maybe he'll get another look in high A since he only played seven games there. Nope. He's so advanced and so well-rounded as a player and just such a good hitter who's a baseball rat, as Fangraphs puts it. Uh, they put him straight to double A. And he started this year in double A and was phenomenal. 58 games, he hit 313, 430, 643, 15% walk rate, 24% K rate, 16 homers, 20 stolen bases. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So he gets the call-up or the promotion to AAA. And through eight games, it's been more of the same. He just continues to hit. He's walking twice as much as he strikes out and already hit two home runs in those eight games. This guy is a superstar in the making here. There's no reason to rush, and there's no reason to uh, really force him up there, especially with Alec Thomas there and getting some action in center field as well. And you kind of want to get both of these guys reps in center. And right now, you know, you're able to get both of them reps in center with Thomas and, and Varsho playing center at the big league level and then Carroll playing center in AAA. And imagine that they want to get Carroll another 100, 150 plate appearances. So I would say it's more likely that we don't see him at the big league level because the D-backs don't need to start his clock. They don't need to open up that 40-man roster spot. Uh, They don't really uh, need to rush him either. Remember, this is a guy that's barely played 100 professional games, which is also absurd. And just because he can do it doesn't mean they necessarily need to have him do it. So I'm going to say no, but if there's an injury or two, or they trade a lot of guys and there's an injury, then we could definitely see it happen. But if I'm a betting man, I'm going to say that we don't see Carroll this year, but that's not service time manipulation. I don't think you could put it in that bucket there. I think it's just more of a timing thing. And the timing isn't quite perfect yet for Corbin Carroll, so no reason to rush him up. The other question from Jeff is, do you consider Yuri Perez the best pitching prospect in MLB? I consider Yuri Perez the best healthy pitching prospect in MLB, and I know that's a compound answer, but to to really get to the direct answer here, I love Yuri, and I think that he could be the best pitching prospect very soon. I am still taking Grayson Rodriguez ahead of him, and I'll tell you why. Yuri's a guy I've been able to see a lot in person, and obviously I've done plenty of dives on. Uh, through the numbers and, and really the data on his stuff is really impressive. Not as impressive as Grayson Rodriguez, who has four potentially plus to plus plus pitches, even mixes in a fifth, depending on how you wanted to determine the cutter versus the slider manipulation there. I mean, he has insane, insane stuff. And Yuri Perez's fastball is one of the best in the minor leagues. In terms of the velo, the extension that he gets, the spin, the vertical break, it is a plus-plus fastball. But Perez kind of lacks a plus secondary beyond that. He has really good secondaries. I think the slider is above average. Flash is plus. The changeup is above average. Flash is plus. But there's just not enough devastation or depth to those pitches to really get those swings and misses or those you know big-time chase swings. 
from those secondary pitches. And I, I think he's going to get there. He's a guy that's dominated with his fastball pretty much at every stop and is dominating with his fastball right now in double A. And part of the reason why we've seen his ERA at 3-3-6, which is still really good, but I think we could expect it to be a lot better than that given how good he is and you know how, how much he pounds the strike zone. And, and that's kind of part of it too is that he – is seeing the same lineups. I think I think there was a last outing that he just had against Biloxi, which is a good lineup. It's got Joey Weimer, Sal Freelich, Garrett Mitchell. I mean, there's a lot of really good bats. Jackson Reitz, who's been raking there, and I'm sure I'm missing other guys. Uh, there's a lot of dudes that can mash there. And they've now seen Yuri Perez, I believe, on five different occasions this year. And I was watching the outing, and they were clearly just ambushing his fastball because they know it's going to be in the strike zone. They know he throws about 75% strikes and they know that he's going to lean on the fastball more than anything. Here's the thing though, is it's not because of a lack of ability to throw the secondaries. It's just that the fastball is his best whiff pitch. It really is, but he has shown more comfort and I think he's going to start to do it more and more where he goes to those secondaries in any count. I've seen him do it uh, and he has the confidence to go to any pitch kind of in the Sandy Alcantara way, but I don't think he's challenged himself enough in that regard so I, I want to see him do that and I, I think he's gonna again this is really splitting hairs here the secondaries I think will be plus very soon we're talking about a dude who is 19 years old and three months at the double a level he's going to get the secondaries you know to closer to the plus range and he's going to mix up his arsenal a little bit more effectively he'll get there Grayson Rodriguez though with four plus pitches maybe a fifth and and all of the command strides that he's made yes he's injured right now but I just think that it's impossible to say that Grayson Rodriguez is not the best pitching prospect in baseball. I might even put an 80 grade on his changeup. So uh, that's that's my number one guy. Yuri Perez is probably number two, given his youth and ridiculous ability to uh, pound the strike zone with three different pitches as a six foot nine or six eight, 220 pound right hander like. That, that is just unheard of. He is a wonderkin, and he's going to be really, really darn good. But I got to see the secondaries get a little bit further along here. I think they'll both be plus. I think the slider and the changeup will be plus, and he will soon be the top pitching prospect in baseball once Grayson Rodriguez graduates. But that's the one thing that's kind of holding him back a little bit from being just the most ridiculous pitching prospect you can ever see. And again, for a 19-year-old in AA, if that's the biggest concern, that the secondaries are good, not elite, um, yeah, sign me up for that because I think they'll be elite soon if he has shown us anything. Next question comes from one of my favorite UK baseball fans out there, Calvin underscore Medcalf. Calvin always has great questions and is a Reds fan, so it should be a fun deadline for you. Uh, I know you've probably been mentally preparing for all the trades coming, and by your question, I could you know, kind of assume that that is exactly the case. The question from Calvin is, with the Castillo trade surely coming in the next few days, and with so many rumors floating around, I wondered if you would give us your informed expectation on A, who will get him, and B, what will likely be the return considering the respective front offices. It's a great question, and I think there's a lot of different directions that that we can go here uh, because I do think that just about every contender that is not loaded with pitching, which I think almost every contender could justify needing some pitching, I think they're going to want to you know check in on Luis Castillo. 
I still really like the Yankees as as a landing spot, and I know a lot of people always like the Yankees for a landing spot, but something about Luis Castillo to the Yankees seems to make sense, especially because I think that they are a great trade partner for the Reds. If I look at the Reds' system, the two things that I really think they need is infield and potentially center field help, and I'm looking across this system the Yankees system, that is. And I think that the Reds could get two pieces in a deal for Castillo that could help the 2023 Reds. And, and I've maintained this, and I still stand by this. I know the Reds stink this year, but I really do believe that the Reds were not and are not interested in a full fledged teardown. I don't think they're targeting prospects that are 18, 19 years old and they're looking at a five year plan. I think they want to be better in 2023 and I think they want to compete in 2024. They've got some young pieces. They've got some really good players that are either just breaking into the big leagues if we talk about Nicodolo and Hunter Green or pitching prospects that are not too far away and some other prospects that are not too far away on top of, you know, the Jonathan Indias of the world. I know Tyler Stevenson's been hurt all year, but I still really like, you know, what he can do and what he offers them. I, I really like a lot of the pieces that they have. So I look at the Yankees and you think Oswald Peraza, who I look at Peraza and Peraza is somebody that he plays the same position as Anthony Volpe, who is face of the franchise type of prospect for them, just about untouchable. And the Reds are not getting Anthony Volpe. Like, let's just get that out of the way. I keep seeing Volpe in mock trades for whoever the Yankees are interested. Stop, please stop. Volpe's not going anywhere unless it's a Juan Soto deal. And I, I don't even think that's going to happen with the Yankees. So back to the main point here. Peraza would be a great headliner in this deal. And, and don't get me wrong. There's going to be other good pieces coming here. But Peraza is the starting shortstop opening day. 2023 for the for the Cincinnati Reds. That simple. He's a plus defender there, which I don't think the Reds have had in a little bit of time uh, with with good offense. I, I know there's the great Kyle Farmer debate, which don't need to get into that either. But Peraza's offensive numbers have not quite been where you'd like to see them uh, compared to what he did last year, but he's starting to really heat up now, and I think his offense would really tick up in Great American Ballpark, like everybody, but Peraza is a gap-to-gap guy who would really see that explosion uh, in in a place like Great American Ballpark. In AAA this year as a 22-year-old, though, he's hitting 258, 329, 446, 13 homers, 24 bags. It's a 106 WRC+, plus, which again, he's really young for the level. He just turned 22 years old, so actually, I should say he's been a 21-year-old at the AAA a level for most of the season. I can promise you he's going to be even better than he's been offensively this year, and I think he's going to continue to get better. The big thing here is you're getting a plus runner and a plus defender at shortstop as well, and the bat's proven to be at least big league average, and I think it's going to be better than big league average. I think he could actually you know, hit 20-plus home runs in Cincinnati with 20-plus bags. He could be a 20-20 dude with plus defense at shortstop. That's a legitimate feasible outcome, and that could be one of the pieces you're getting here. Uh, I also think that they should give, the Reds should give a good look to Everson Pereira, who is one of my more underrated prospects in baseball. He's a center fielder who just reached double A and is extremely young, 21 years old, just reached double, has put up ridiculous numbers over the last two years. He's getting his feet under him, just at his first home run at the double A level, but had nine home runs in 73 games in high A and then has the one home run in his first four games in double A, just trying to find the consistency there. Where I reference ridiculous numbers is what he did in 2021, though battling injuries, hit 19 home runs 
in around 54 games, roughly. I mean, that that is absolutely insane between low A and high A. And he is capable of hitting home runs in bunches. He's an above-average defensive center fielder, and he's an above-average runner. That's a guy that I think if you're getting him as a secondary piece in the deal, you got to feel pretty darn good about that. If for whatever reason he's not available, then I would pivot to an Austin Wells. And Austin Wells is a left-handed hitting catching prospect, technically speaking, but Austin Wells is one of my favorite bats in this system, and he he could hit 35-plus home runs for the Reds. I, I love the bat of Austin Wells, and he can catch in a pinch if you need him to, especially if Stevenson continues to be injury-prone and, and continues to struggle to be in the lineup. But also, you have two catchers that could play in the field and have extremely valuable bats and who can take time behind the dish if the Reds want to keep him as a catcher. But you're really just taking the bat here uh, with somebody like Austin Wells. And Wells, it's really ridiculously impressive on base skills. I'm not going to compare him to Joey Votto. Please let me preface. I'm not comparing him to Joey Votto, but this is a left-handed bat who could end up playing first base, who walks with the best of them. I'm not kidding. I saw it in college. I saw it on the Cape. This guy has Unreal plate discipline, walks with the best of them. He's walking 13% of the time this year, nearly getting on base at a 400 clip, and has really solid power. We're not totally seeing him tap into the power yet, but I think that there's a lot more in the tank that we're going to start to see soon. He's already hit, though, nine home runs in about, I believe it's roughly 40 games. So, uh, I mean, still no slouch in the power department, but I think there's more to be seen there as he continues to work on lifting the ball more and tapping into more power. But this was a first-round pick by the Yankees in 2020. He just turned 23 years old. You hope he can stick behind the dish, but the bat is so good that he could be the future of the team at first base even or in corner outfield if they want to try him out there. So far this year, he's just caught and DH'd, but I do really like the bat. I can understand why if if you're going after, you know, the optimal package, you might want to go for that Pereira and Peraza combination, but I'm just saying this is a bat that would really, really trend in the right direction, I think, in the red system. And then one other name that I didn't think I would mention, uh, but has been really good this year, and I think is kind of worth giving a look at for the Reds as maybe the third piece in a deal who could plug right into center field and be, you know, your center fielder for this year, audition him and then see if he can, you know, be the opening day guy in 2023 is Estefan Florial. And Florial is a guy that I did not think would take the turn that he has taken this year. And I mean, the guy is really good. The guy has been really good this year. He's just 24 years old. So as much as I wanted to kind of say, ah, is he going to figure it out at the AAA level? He's been good. There's swing and miss, no doubt about it. But he's an above average defensive center fielder with 12 home runs, 29 bags, striking out 29% of the time, but he's walking at about 11.6% clip. If that's a third piece in a deal, a guy that could play center field for you right away, um, I, I'm, I'm definitely willing to, to check that out, right? If if you're not getting Pereira, I would love to get a Wells and Floreal combination. If you get Peraza and Pereira, maybe a, a lottery ticket then for the third piece uh, with some upside in that Yankee system. That might even be light. That might even be light, but I'm just headlining the guys that I think are perfect fits. You know, you can talk about some of the other prospects. You can talk about the Jason Dominguez's of the world, but I, I don't think I would rather get a shortstop and a potential center fielder than just take a flyer on Jason Dominguez, who's still three plus years away, and you're hoping will stick in center field. Take the guy that can be your opening day shortstop in Peraza. Take the guy that could be your 
2023 call-up at a certain point in Everson Pereira. And if, if, if the Yankees say no on Pereira, Wells could be up there by 2023 at some point. And, of course, Floreal could be up there tomorrow, and you can give him a shot right away. But I also like what the Dodgers can offer. And the Dodgers obviously have one of baseball's best farm systems and a lot of prospects that could be great fits for the Reds as well, whether it's outfield, infield combination. Of course, they could also get another pitcher. But I, I really think it with the, the Luis Castillo trade, the Reds should be prioritizing uh infielders and bats in general I think that they've stockpiled a ton of really good arms at this point and the Reds are in a pretty good spot pitching wise I would love to see them try to get an Andy Pajes if you could get Andy Pajes from the Dodgers you got to be really happy with that I don't know how willing they are to move him but to get a Luis Castillo when they're trying to win the World Series I think that's absolutely a possibility I think Miguel Vargas would be spectacular for the Cincinnati Reds, a long-term answer at third. Could play corner outfield if you want him to. Uh, really, a plus hit tool guy with above average power that I think with the amount of contact that he makes could be a 280 to 300 hitter, 25 plus home runs in Cincinnati if it all works out. And I mean, you look at a Miguel Vargas uh, profile, just what he has done year over year over year. This guy as is as safe as it gets with the bat. Pretty much big league ready as well if the Reds traded for Miguel Vargas. You could call him up immediately. He was ridiculous last year. 23 home runs between high A and double A while hitting about 317, just a hair under 320 if I'm not mistaken. Then this year in triple A as a 22-year-old, he's hitting 295, 388, 493 with a 15% K rate, 13% walk rate, 13 homers, 10 stolen bases. I love Miguel Vargas, and I think he's still one of the most underrated prospects in the game still. Somehow, not a consensus top 100 guy. I've seen him on more top 100 lists. Fangraphs doesn't even have him as a top eight prospect. He's a ninth-ranked prospect in the Dodgers system. I think that's asinine. Uh, depending on where he's valued by the Dodgers themselves, uh, if you can get him as uh, the second piece in a deal for Luis Castillo, you got to be over the moon. If you can somehow get Pajes and Vargas Oh my goodness, you got to be thrilled with that package. So there's a few different angles that they can go, but I think those are the two teams that could give them the, the best fit prospect-wise uh, for what they want to achieve there uh, with the Castillo return. Next question is a fantasy question, which comes from Carl Thomas or Carl Thomas 280 on Twitter. And he asks, who are the next hitters slash pitchers whose call-ups are imminent that can help a fantasy team immediately? And he said, thank you. Thank you for the question, Carl. Uh, so that's a great one. And I think it's always fun talking about who could make an impact at the big league level uh, very soon from the prospect perspective. And a few names that I really like. One is Kyle Muller of the Atlanta Braves. And the Braves really need some starting pitching help, especially with the struggles of Ian Anderson, especially with the banged up just guys that they have in the rotation right now. They've got some holes and innings to fill, and Moeller has been spectacular. Jack watched him throw, of course, co-host on the show. Jack McMullen watched him throw in AAA, and he texted me during that outing. and was like, Kyle Moeller has been one of the best pitchers we've seen so far this this season and at the AAA level, and Moeller has been spectacular from everything I've seen as well. 24 years old, a 2.96 ERA and 16 starts in triple, 117 Ks and 94 and a thirds innings, only 26 walks. A lefty that pounds the strike zone, mixes it up, and has good stuff. I, I think this is a guy that could be up there and help the Braves pretty soon, and they're going to use him as a starter. Moeller saw some big league action 
in 2021 and, and saw two innings so far this year uh, where he struggled. But in 2021, we saw him for 36 and two-thirds innings, and he was good, not great. And I, it was surprising that he didn't get a little bit more opportunity there. Uh, but ultimately, he's a bit different of a pitcher than we saw last year. His fastball velo is actually ticked up a full mile per hour with more life on it as well and better shape. And as a result, he's getting a lot more swings and misses on the fastball and it's setting up the rest of his arsenal. His slider is also ticked up a little bit as well. This is a six foot seven, 250 pound guy. So now more of a power guy, uh, able to get more zone whiff and trusting it more. So he's able to live in the strike zone, knowing that he doesn't have to nibble, trusting that he's going to get the swings and misses. I like Kyle Muller a lot as an option uh, as a potential fantasy pickup if you're looking for starting pitching. Taj Bradley is another one with the Rays. Just got the promotion to AAA and he was dynamite. 8Ks, no runs in his first start against a really good Norfolk tied AAA Orioles team that has Gunnar Henderson, Taron Vavra, uh, Kyle Stowers, and several other really good bats. He carved them up with ease. The fastball's ridiculous. Uh, of course, Bradley with the Rays is just I think he's a guy that could end up really helping them in the rotation because they need some pitching too, which is surprising. And he could be that guy that kind of helps push them across. We saw them call up Baz and trust Shane Baz in the playoffs last year. And of course, if he was healthy, he'd be a key cog in their rotation. But now he's injured and they need to fill some spots in that rotation. Bradley continues to fly through the minor leagues. He's extremely young, but dominates with the fastball. The slider has continued to get better as the year has gone on, and the command is really good. Uh, at the very least, he could be a swing man for them, but I think he could be a starter uh, and a pretty darn good one after he makes another handful of starts at the AAA level. I think we could see him by uh, the end of August, early September, similar to when we saw Shane Boz last year, uh, and help them kind of make that playoff push. There's a reason why they brought him up to AAA already. They're, they're looking at him as a potential big league option for them, which is extremely exciting. There's a few bats that I would keep an eye on uh, in the trade market, and if they are traded, I would pick them up immediately. And by trade market, I mean if the team in real life uh, trades them, the team that acquires some of these prospects will likely throw them straight into uh, the big league lineup or promote them way quicker than the current team uh, would have had them up there because they're kind of blocked. Alec Burleson's a perfect example. If the Cardinals trade Alec Burleson, which I think they very well might because you know they don't want to part with uh, Jordan Walker. They don't want to part with Mason Wynn if they don't have to, of course, unless we're talking about a Juan Soto deal. But Alec Burleson's a really good piece. I guess it's 23 years old, friend of the show. If he doesn't want to get traded, of course, I'm not rooting for him to get traded, but I am rooting for Alec Burleson to get an opportunity at the big league level, and it looks like that might have to be somewhere else. Burleson is leading the minor leagues in hits right now, or at least leading the AAA level with hits. And he will be just about big league ready the second that he goes to a new team. He's striking out 15% of the time. He's hitting for power. His defense has gotten better. Uh, he's spraying the ball over the field. He's hitting lefties well. Like There's there's not much to, to poke a hole in in terms of Alec Burleson's game, especially just with what he could do with the bat. If he gets traded, the, whatever team gets him could feel pretty good about calling him up almost immediately, especially when he's not striking out, hitting for power, and hitting for average. I mean, there is just so much to like there with Burleson, and he could get traded. Miguel Vargas, same story. I, I already talked talked about Vargas, but if that's a guy that gets dealt, go get him immediately because whoever acquires him, he will probably be an upgrade for them. Uh, Stone Garrett is, is a less sexy name, but man, has Stone Garrett been good? And he is in the Diamondbacks organization. 
they need to see what they have in Stone Garrett because next year, Corbin Carroll is going to make his way up, and they're, they're also probably going to want to get Dominic Fletcher up there, who's another guy that I think should be on your radar fantasy-wise because he can swipe some bags as well. Stone Garrett has been wonderful. He was once in the Marlins organization, left in minor league free agency, signed by the D-backs, had a good year last year, and has been even better this year. And I think he's figured something out with his swing. His approach is much better. And he's at 286, 355, 99. Look, it could be a little bit of a PCL bump. But last year in double A, had 25 home runs and 17 stolen bases with the Diamondbacks as well. Now walking more, striking out slightly less. It's worth a flyer here. He's got 25 home runs and 15 stolen bases. He can play all three outfield spots. And I think the second that the Diamondbacks trade David Peralta, maybe trade off some of the other veterans uh, that aren't a part of the long-term future, they're going to audition Stone Garrett the rest of the way. If you're in a deep league, that's a name to watch as well. Uh, One other is is Gunnar Henderson. And I'm sure he is somebody that is owned in most leagues, especially dynasty leagues, of course. But he is somebody that's going to get called up, I think, very, very soon uh, and, and should be an option for them. If the Orioles are trading away any vets, Look for anybody in that Oriole system that's already at the AAA level. A Taron Vavra is an option as well. Uh, I still think Stowers is an option as well. I really like what he can do. Kyle Stowers has just been so good in AAA this year. Those Orioles guys are worth watching as well. Next question comes from Crazy with a K on Twitter. At Reds and Wildcats is the at, of course, on Twitter. Will Cam Collier be a top 100 prospect where will he be ranked in the Reds' farm system? Man, that that's a really tough one because, you know, we're working on the, the top 100 update right now, and there's so many guys performing uh, at the upper levels that weren't even considered on the top 100 list before this season, like Taylor Dollard and some of the other guys that have just really emerged that deserve some legitimate top 100 consideration uh, that I think is going to be hard for a lot of these draft guys to, to break through. Uh, I think it's possible that some guys that were on the top 100 list before may even drop a little bit. Uh, But that being said, I I still think that he has a really good chance because of the age and already the advanced bat and the really good arm at third. I think he's going to be a back end top 100 guy. Uh, I would probably slot him in. Right after Matt McClain, I, I think there's more upside, obviously, than Matt McClain. He's 17 years old and is going to be breaking into professional baseball. Uh, but presumably, if Nick Lodolo is graduated, it would be Ellie De La Cruz, Matt McClain, and then I think you could make the legitimate case for Cam Collier to check in right behind him. I'm sure the Reds are going to take their time with Collier, so he's he's a tougher guy to rank given that he is so young and only played at the Juco level, but we, we saw him you know swing it well on the Cape relative to his age and, and the competition, and I think that's probably where he slots in is right behind McLean, right ahead of Brandon Williamson, who I really like, but has taken a bit of a step back this year, and just ahead of Jay Allen, who I, I really like as well. Uh, but that's still really good, really exciting for him to fall to the Cincinnati Reds uh, right there, and then that was one of the steals of the draft, and they recently you know made it official, signing Collier, so they pulled it off. And I mean, that was the steal of steals, I think, in the first round. Next question comes from Control God at LILDJ228 on Twitter, who wants to know what the timetable on some of the Giants top prospects is and what kind of impact that they can make at the big league level. Well, you know, a lot of the Giants prospects are a little bit further off, which is okay because, you know, the team is, is pretty good at the big league level, though. They've taken a little bit of a step back this year. Uh, but l- let's kind of headline or go with some of the headliners, and I'll give you, you know, what I think their ETA is because I do like so many of these San Francisco Giants prospects. 
Marco Luciano has made big strides this year. After struggling from his high A promotion last year, he was great in low A, then got promoted to high A and really got blown up. Made the adjustments this year, has been spectacular. 288, 360, 507 slash line, eight homers uh, to go with that. That's a 143 WRC plus, and he's only struck out 23% of the time in those 40 games. He looks like, and he's on the IL right now, which is the only reason why we probably haven't seen him, you know, continuing to, to trend towards double A. I think we could have saw him in double A. So that did delay everything a bit. But I think when he comes back from or returns from the back injury that, you know, he'll, he'll finish out the season, presumably in high A, may get a taste of double A at the end of the year. I think they play a few more games. So he might, you know, get a few games there and then definitely will start next season in double. If you expect him to start next season in double and he continues on this trajectory and doesn't have as much of a learning curve as he had in high A, then, you know, we could probably see him by the end of 2023. Um, but I think it's more likely we see him beginning of 2024. That's what my ETA is on, on probably uh, somebody like Marco Luciano is, you know, he could break camp in 2024. Somebody that could beat him there, who I am really excited about, is Kyle Harrison. And while Kyle Harrison still continues to battle a little bit of command issues. He just continues to strike so many guys out that it doesn't matter. And then there's some similarities to to that, like Robbie Ray walk some guys, strike out even more, uh, but he's just got better stuff. And Kyle Harrison has just been laughably good so far this year. Uh, made a joke out of high A competition, striking out 18.3 batters per nine in his seven starts in high A, which is, is insane. I, I don't even know how that's possible. That's literally 50% of batters he was striking out at the high A level. 50%. That's like elite, elite, elite reliever seasons. That's what you're seeing from Edwin Diaz right now, which is top-notch closer ability right now. Uh, And then a double A, yeah, yeah, he slowed down to 38%. He's striking out 38% of batters in double A. Also crazy. He is walking 12%, which which is a problem. Um, but it's not a problem until it is a problem, if that makes sense. So, you know, he's kept the ERA at 298 in double. No one's hitting him, really. The, the biggest threat to Kyle Harrison on the mound is Kyle Harrison, or the biggest threat, I guess, is the strike zone. And here's the thing is if he's not giving up any hits, which he's not, he's surrendered 25 hits and 45 and a third innings in double A as one of the youngest pitchers in the entire league, still 20 years old for another month. I mean, this guy is special and I would love to see him, you know, command the strike zone a little bit better. I would like to see him throw more strikes, but if he is pitching to a solid ERA and striking out a ton of double-A hitters, you figure the command will start to get a little bit better. He has so much zone confidence. It's really just about repeating the mechanics and, and finding the strike zone and, and controlling the slider and the changeup, which have so much depth and break that sometimes it's hard to command it. He'll get there. And I think this is a guy that could break into the big leagues by 2023. So he's going to beat Luciano. He's going to get to the big leagues at some point in 2023 and should be a really fun starter uh, once he hones in on the command a little bit more. The, the stuff, there's no question. It's a plus fastball. It's a plus changeup, and it's an above average to plus slider. He, he's spectacular in that regard. The last guy I'll mention timeline-wise, because I think this is an important one for the Giants, given that Joey Bart, uh, as I've long mentioned, is not the long-term answer at catcher for the Giants, and said that going into the year, and I think now uh, people are starting to come around to that whole idea. Um, Patrick Bailey, who has put up better offensive numbers overall this year in high A than he did last year in high A, uh, but he still has not been great. Uh, this guy's hitting a buck 98 uh, in high A. He has eight homers. 
He does have a 91 WRC plus because he's walking 14% of the time, but that's mostly because he's missing hittable pitches and fouling off pitches in the strike zone and seeing so many in at bats that guys with bad command and high A are eventually walking him. But most of the time he's fouling off pitches that should have been put in play. He will get blown up at the double A level if they call him up. And that's why they haven't called him up yet or promoted him to the double A level. I'm concerned. I'm a little bit concerned about Patrick Bailey as well. Now they're first or the 13th overall pick first round pick in 2020. Um, switching and catcher who just can't seem to fully get things going offensively. It's something worth monitoring. He he had a 2023 ETA before, but I don't know if he necessarily is going to reach that 2023 ETA. Either they're going to force him up quicker because they want to just kind of see what he's got at the big league level and see how it goes, or they're going to take their time and wait for him to really get going. And I think it's going to be the latter. So I think we could be looking at a late 2023, early 2024, for him, and kind of going back to answering the impact, I don't know what kind of impact Patrick Bailey's going to have because he's not the best defensive catcher in the world either. He, they've got to really wait and see if he can develop here. Uh, so I think it's going to be a bit longer for him. Kyle Harrison can be a frontline starter if we're talking about impact. I think the command in the early years of his career, first couple years, will probably hold him back a little bit from being a, an ace, but I think he'll be a high-volume strikeout, middle-of-the-rotation starter that'll have to fight command from time to time. But once he figures that out, he can be a frontline starter. And then Marco Luciano is going to be the Rookie of the Year favorite, most likely, the year he he breaks into the big league. So if you're talking about impact, this guy has the potential to hit 40-plus home runs, and I think he's going to be closer to 30, but has the potential to hit 280 with 30 home runs and, and be a really exciting bat that should be a Rookie of the Year favorite. So two of these guys are going to be big-time impact players as soon as 2023, more likely in the back end of 2023, early 2024, which seems far away, but it'll be here before you know it. But I am interested to see how the Giants try to fill that gap with some older players right now um, and their most exciting young players still a little bit further out than some may, uh, you know, have hoped. Last question, of course, has to be a Juan Soto trade package question. This comes from Brian and his at is RR. EBMart18. I think it's just RRebMart18. That's way easier. Sorry for reading it like a weirdo before. Um, is this an overpay for Juan Soto prospect wise? Abrams, Wood, Hassel, Merrill, Susana, and Eggy. That's Eggy Rosario. Ah, well, let me finish the question. What would your max offer be if the Padres land Juan Soto? Are they World Series contenders? Oh, man. Um, a lot to unpack here. Uh, let's start with the easy part of the question. If they get Juan Soto, they are absolutely World Series contenders. I believe in the pitching. I really do. I, I think they've got enough going on there. It sucks that Mackenzie Gore went down, but I believe in the veteran arms they have. If Fernando Tatis, that's the bigger question. If Fernando Tatis Jr. comes back and he's healthy and he's, you know, Fernando Tatis, the trio of Tatis, Soto, Machado might be one of the best we have seen in the modern era. I mean, like, that is devastating uh, what that middle of the order can do for you. And it's not like the rest of the orders are, are slouches either. Here's the thing. Other teams like the Cardinals, who seem to be the favorite to land Soto, they can mix in a Carlson. They can mix in some other big league pieces that lessen the prospect impact. My concern here is that it's all prospects for the Padres. And I mean, this leaves them with the worst system in baseball, I think, and it's not necessarily close. But Abrams has to be in the deal. Hassel has to be in the deal. Wood, who has all the upside in the world as a 6'7 slugger who's not k which is insane, has all the upside in the world. 
but you know they kind of want a big league piece, and, and I, I know that they're okay. The, the Nationals, that is, with taking your four top prospects instead. So, reasonably speaking, this is exactly what the price would be. Um, so, no, it's not an overpay. I think that's almost exactly a perfect package. So, good job, Brian, on that package. It's insane, but it's what it would probably require. And I, I think the Nationals would even push back a little bit, but I would not go further than that. So to answer, you know, what's your max offer? This, you know, maybe you can swap Susana and Eggy Rosario for a couple other guys. May, I mean, even I, I'm not going to let this be a deal breaker at this point, but I would even hate to trade Astori Ruiz on top of that package uh, because I just feel like it leaves you just so, so thin system-wise. But are you going to let Astori Ruiz stop you from getting Soto if you're already willing to give up all of that? Of course not. So I, I think my max offer would be, you know, swap out like Susana or Eggy Rosario with somebody like Astori Ruiz. But I'm not going too much more than this because at what point is it just not worth it anymore? I will say, and I will always argue, getting the proven player is always going to, to almost always going to be the better move uh, unless, you know, something happens to them, God forbid. But generally speaking, you know, we know Juan Soto is always going to be good. Like, that's not a question. We don't know what's going to happen with all these prospects. And even if each of them pan out to a degree, the odds of them being a generational talent like Juan Soto are extremely slim. So, you know, to, to make up the war that you're going to get, the wins above replacement that you're going to get for Juan Soto is, is, is nearly impossible. Um, so, you know, I think playing the probability, it, it makes sense that, you know, you do this and, and ultimately A.J. Preller, you know, makes his big move and tries to win the World Series, which... I, I think it's a good time to try it. I think the Dodgers are somewhat vulnerable subject, or, you know, relative to what we're used to from the Dodgers. And uh, I think the Padres have been impressively able to stay afloat without Tatis and they're getting a different level of play out of Machado. And there's a lot of things to like here. Um, I, the last thing I'll say on the package is I love CJ Abrams. I really do. But is CJ Abrams going to win an MVP? Probably not. I think he can make several all-star appearances. I think he could, you know, accumulate more than 2000 hits and have a wonderful baseball career, but is he a hall of famer? I don't know. Probably not. Uh, Robert Hassel. I think he's a really good prospect. I think he's going to be a really solid. I mean, like my most likely outcome for him is 275 decent on base, 20 plus homers. Are you letting that stop you from getting, you know, somebody like Juan Soto? No, uh, James Wood. anything can happen. That guy could win MVPs, but also he could flame out in high a, like there's, there's a lot of things that can happen there. And then Jackson Merrill, He's been hurt this year, looked really good out of the gate. But, you know, is that guy going to win MVPs? Probably not. Is he going to be a, you know, multi-time all-star? That's the best case scenario that you're really hoping for. So, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, you go get the superstar. It would kill to do this. But um, if you really think you're this close, I think that's the right package. It's just crazy to me because... I think Abrams is going to make a lot of all-star games. I really like Wood. I think Hassel is going to be a very solid, above-average big leaguer. And then I, I, I'm not sleeping on Merrill and some of the other guys. But uh, it should be pretty fun to see how the, the Soto sweepstakes shake out. I still personally think he's sticking in Washington through this season. But, I mean, if somebody comes across, if Preller offers that, might be pretty hard for the Nationals to say no to that kind of offer. That'll do it for this episode of the Mailbag. Uh, I'm sorry if I didn't get to your question. Thank you to everybody who asked questions. I will be doing these more often to make sure I get to everybody's cues because it is so fun being able to answer and get an idea of what everybody wants to know and what everybody wants me to talk about. Uh, as always, the, the DMs are open. I try to catch up to as many questions as I can. If you could take a second to 
rate the podcast on either Apple or Spotify. I would really appreciate it. It helps me grow the show. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. And we will be back with Jack tomorrow to talk about some of our candidates to finish strong the rest of the season, some of the guys we have our eyes on uh, over the final stretch, and of course, starting to talk about some traded prospects as well, if that starts to happen, and some of the top prospects who could be moved at this deadline. Thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.